Well, uh, the other day I was going on a journey and uh, I booked uh, my train. I was going on the train, so I got off at my phone and I booked uh, my train via the train app. Literally, it's called train. Uh, and then I found out the bus that I needed to get to get to the train station via the Lothian bus app. I'm sure it's meant to be simpler than it is. It is quite complicated, isn't it, the, the Lothian bus app? I got onto the, the, the bus and I showed the driver my M ticket that I bought on my M tickets app. Uh, and then I arrived in Leeds. I got out at the station and I opened my Amber Taxis app and booked the taxi so that it was waiting for me when I came out of the station, which it was. Uh, it was amazing and then I did all that in reverse on the way home. Those apps made my life so much easier in that moment. But sometimes things don't go exactly to plan, do they? And when that happens, life can be really irritating. So the other day, uh, the bus app told me that there was going to be a bus arriving at 10 past 9. So I got Julie to the bus stop at 10 past 9. And the bus did not arrive till 9.17 a.m. I couldn't believe it. I was like, that app lied to me. Um, we're told all sorts of things, aren't we? And those apps are there to make our lives easier. And most of the time, they are. And there's so much in our society that is given to us to make our lives easier. There's so much information that we're given as well. We're told that if we drink uh, a glass of red wine every day, uh, then we'll avoid heart disease. I don't know whether that's true. Uh, some of the doctors amongst us might have opinions about that, but I'm testing it out, so I'll tell you. Um, we're told don't eat too much red meat uh, for numerous health and environmental reasons. Uh, we're told to keep generally fit, uh, go to this school or that school, uh, do all these activities that are put in front of us to get ahead in life. And all that is good. But then despite all these rules, despite all these different routes that we're given, despite these ways that we're told, follow this way and you will have an easier and a healthier life, despite everything that we might do or not do, life sometimes just doesn't go to plan, does it? When we live in a world where everything seems to be designed to make our lives easier, whether it's an app or a website, whether it's a particular piece of design created by Dyson, whether it's information or the NHS, whether it's transport or the shops that we go to, what happens when life turns out to not be that easy after all? What happens when stuff just happens, when everything is out of our control. And we hit those moments in life when it just feels like everything is going wrong and life is just difficult. I'm experiencing uh, a bit of this at the moment. Uh, my mum uh, has always kept fit and healthy. She doesn't drink heavily, uh, she's never smoked, she's the right weight for her height. She doesn't carry too much stress around with her. She follows Jesus. And yet, at the end of the summer, she was diagnosed uh, with acute myeloid leukemia. And that's one of those diseases where they don't know actually how you get it. 
It's just one of those things where, it's one of those weird diseases where your cells mutate and become nasty cells. I'm sure that's not the technical jargon, but that's how I understand it. And so she's presently in hospital being pumped through uh, with chemo and other drugs uh, to keep her alive. It's not good. It's really sad and it's really annoying because she should be going on lovely holidays uh, with my auntie. She should be enjoying her retirement and coming to visit us and enjoying her grandchildren. But instead, she's in hospital and she's hooked up to machines and she has an unknown future. You play this game of life by the rules and the rules don't always work out. And I expect all of us here can give accounts of when life has disappointed us. When we face some sort of unexpected suffering, when the, world, when the rules don't work out, whether it's an illness that you're experiencing yourself or in your family, whether your job has just turned into a nightmare, or a significant relationship in your life has broken down, or you're just desperate to meet the one, and that one is extraordinarily elusive. Or you're suffering, perhaps, with some mental health issues. There are so many things that can rock up in our lives that are unexpected and that can cause us suffering and pain. And then we read famous passages in the Bible, like the one that we've just heard from Luke chapter 6, where Jesus says to his followers, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are, are you who are poor. And we think, Jesus, what are you on about? Don't you know the reality of my life at the moment? Or we ask, what is going on here? What sort of unrealistic expectations is, is Jesus putting before us? We can feel like Jesus is giving us a set of instructions on how to be like SAS type A Christians. You'll be blessed if you can do this, this and this. If you can be the best Christian ever. If you can laugh in the face of pain. Or if you can approach suffering simply with an attitude of, God, you must be shaping me and forming me, and I know that if I survive this, I'll get extra brownie points when I get to heaven. If that is the case, I for one find this incredibly difficult and inaccessible and out of my reach. I cannot attain that level of perfection. I read recently the story of Gordon Livingston, and he was, and it is a young, at the time he was a young lieutenant in the American army, and he was trying to work out where he was in a military exercise. He could see hills in front of him, and a flat bit over there, and a river over there, and um, his platoon sergeant approached him and asked him this question, uh, Livingston, have you figured out where you are yet? And he said, to his sergeant, well, the map says that there should be a hill over there, but I don't see a hill over there. To which the sergeant replied, if the map doesn't agree with the ground, then the map is wrong. If the map doesn't agree with the ground, then the map is wrong. We look at the terrain that we live in, 
And the narrative that we hear all around us tells us that life should be easy. Everything should be straightforward because we have all this technology, we have all this information, we have science, we know the way forward, we know the way to do life. Two plus two always equals four. But then the disappointment comes when we discover that this narrative doesn't match the reality of what we're experiencing. The rules don't always work. We do the right stuff and we still experience suffering. The map doesn't always match the reality of the ground that we see around us and that we're walking on in this present moment. And the narrative of this world says you can have peace and you can have happiness and you will be content if you live your life as you please. But it just doesn't work out like that. And so what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in Luke chapter 6 is not that being hungry or being poor or being rejected are good things in themselves. That is not actually the discipleship lesson on, on, this is not actually a discipleship lesson on how to be your SAS type A Christian. But Jesus is teaching his disciples here in Luke chapter 6 in this incredibly famous sermon that Jesus speaks. He's teaching his disciples that real peace and real happiness and real contentment are only found in him. And what he's doing here is he's throwing all the rules of how we think we are to attain that completely in the air. And it's a powerful and it's a radical teaching because at its core, Jesus is blasting apart the narrative uh, of this world which tells us how we attain happiness. When the world says, you will be happy if you are well off, or you will be happy when your stomachs are full, or when you are, you'll be happy when you are healthy and whole, when you're not grieving and you've made a success of your life. Jesus says, no, there is no contentment, there is no peace, there is no happiness apart from me. And so here in Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus stood on a level place, And he gathers his disciples that he's just chosen around him for like their first team meeting. He wants to tell them that things are not as they have been taught. He wants to tell them that it's even better than they've been taught. And so for us to understand more fully what Jesus is saying in this passage in Luke chapter 6, we need to understand something of the narrative, something of the rules that were governing uh, the world that Jesus' disciples were living in at this time. You see, at this time, there was an expectation amongst the Jews in that society uh, that uh, that the Messiah was going to come and was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. The Messiah was going to come and restore the kingdom of Israel. And there was a whole set of expectations of what that kingdom would be like and who was going to be able to be in it. And some of them were these, there's five. The kingdom would only be for Jews. They were the chosen nation. They would be the only ones invited to be part of God's kingdom. 
And secondly, it was not just the Jews, but you also had to be a bloke as well. Uh, It was a kingdom only for male Jews. Women were second-class citizens. And then thirdly, uh, male Jews who also had to have kept the law, had to have kept the rules on how to be pure and holy and righteous. And then fourthly, you had to be a male Jew who kept the, the, the law and also were physically well. Um, because illness and impairment at that time was seen as a sign that you were sinful and had been cursed by God. And then fifthly, you had to be a Jew who was male, who was law-abiding, was physically well, and also had some money in the bank, had some wealth. Because again, being poor was a sign that you were not righteous in the eyes of God. And so in that society, the expectation was that the kingdom of God was for the few. The table is small and the door is narrow. And it's into this world that Jesus is living and leading and healing and speaking. The disciples have spent a bit of time with Jesus already and they've seen him call sinners, those people who didn't abide by the law, to follow him. They've seen him touch and heal the sick. They've seen him take on the Jewish authorities' interpretation of the law. They've seen what he's been doing, and now here, as he gathers them around him on this level place for this first team meeting, he explains to them what it's all about. And he does it basically by sticking a piece of dynamite uh, into everything that they've known and blasting apart the rules and the expectations about who is able to join the kingdom of God. Who is able to join his team? He blasts it literally wide open. Because he's like, you who have been told you can't be on the guest list because your life is tough. You who are broken. You who are poor and lonely and marginalized. You who are viewed as impure. Who are in your grief asking questions like, why me or what have I done to deserve this? You who sit there and say, it's not fair. You who are invited to sit, you are invited to come and sit at my table in the kingdom. And you will find happiness again with me. You will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. And this word that we translate as blessed It doesn't mean happy, as some versions of the Bible say. It actually is from a a Greek word, makarios, which means truly well off, truly well off. You who are poor, you who are grieving, you who are sad, you are truly well off because the kingdom of God is yours. Jesus is not saying you are blessed, you are well off because you are sad, or because you're poor. It's not your condition, your wealth, your poverty, your sickness, your health that makes you blessed. But you are blessed simply because of Jesus. Jesus is saying, you who are hungry or poor, who are grieving, who are sad, who are struggling, you who get abused or insulted, you who face hassle, he doesn't say, don't worry, it'll all be good in the end, or life will turn out perfectly. But he's saying there is hope. 
there is hope for you. Because in my kingdom, in the big scheme of things, if you're hungry now, you will be fed. If there are tears now, there will be laughter again. If you're excluded and hurt, you will be included. If you're a mess or broken, you will be made whole. Because he's saying, my table is wide, my table is long, and you're all invited to come and sit and be with me at my table to experience my love, to experience my forgiveness and healing and my hope. That is the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming. You don't have to get it sorted first. Come and join me at the table because my grace is sufficient for you. And then he goes on in verses 24 to 26 and gives his disciples a whole uh, set of woes or warnings. Again, he's not saying uh, your condition, your wealth, your full stomachs, your happiness will exclude you from my kingdom. He isn't like promoting a gospel of misery, um, but he's reminding those of us whose lives, are not, whose lives are straightforward at the moment not to forget our need for Jesus. We can all have a tendency to do that, can't we? I was thinking uh, this week about a wedding um, and a particular wedding uh, that I took a few years ago. I think I've shared some of this story before. Um, Everything had been prepared in this wedding to the nth degree. Uh, The flowers in the church were stunning. Uh, The bridesmaids arrived and they looked beautiful as they stood waiting uh, for the bride to arrive. The groom was hovering around looking dashing and sweating a little bit, as is the way. And then the car uh, rocked up, pulled up with the uh, bride and her father in it. And the bride stepped out and she looked fantastic. She was just glowing. She was excited, a little bit shaky, uh, but looked fabulous. And then out stepped the father of the bride and he looked proud and handsome in his morning suit. And then everybody just stopped and looked. Some mouths started gaping because the father of the bride was wearing the wrong trousers. He literally was wearing like morning suit up to like here. And then he wasn't even like wearing suit trousers. You know, you meant to have like gray stripy trousers. He was wearing cream chinos. He was wearing cream chinos. And in all the kerfuffle and getting the, the bride ready, the photographs in the house, the getting in the car, he'd forgotten to put on the right trousers. <laughs> Can you believe it? This perfectly organized wedding. Uh, And everybody just stood there going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I was all highly amused by it all because it was a perfectly prepared wedding. Uh, And then suddenly the chauffeur took charge of the situation and he literally grabbed the father of the groom in a nice way, shoved him back in, uh, father of the bride, shoved him back in the car and sped off back to the house 20 minutes away to get the right trousers for him. Jesus is warning us, those of us who think we've got everything prepared, that we've got life sorted, those of us who think all is well, we've got money in the bank, we have good health, life is easy. Don't sit back congratulating yourselves that life is sorted because Jesus knows the human condition. 
He knows our tendency to rest on our laurels and survey our little mini kingdoms, enjoying all that this world has to offer. And he's warning us, don't miss out. Don't miss out because you've forgotten your need for God. As the message version puts it brilliantly, it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. Jesus calls us to be different and to live for something that is different from this world. And it's into the gaping chasms of disappointment that we're left with when we put all our eggs in the basket of this world or follow the narrative of this world. It's into this gaping chasm of emptiness that Jesus steps in with words of hope and freedom. He says, with me, you are actually blessed when you've lost it all because then God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're hungry because then you're ready for all I have for you. You're blessed when the tears are flowing as you will find joy in me. In Henri Nguyen's brilliant book, I highly recommend it, Return of the Prodigal Son, he writes this, People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. They claim that 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 light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself, and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. People who have come to know the joy of God do not deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. They claim that that light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself, and that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. Last week it was Vision Sunday and Dave was unpacking for us Luke 9 and our new strategy here at P's and G's, Stretch uh, 25. And it says in our, our brochure here, and it's what we believe, this is not business as usual. It's a vision that God's given us to change Scotland. We've called this strategy Stretch 25 uh, because we believe that over the next five years, God is calling us to stretch out in our care and provision of the hungry, in our care and provision uh, for those who are struggling in life. We're called to stretch out in providing opportunities for people in our, our communities, in this city, beyond to come and experience and know Jesus' love for themselves. We believe that God is calling us to stretch out in taking a lead in caring for creation, in how we speak uh, to people in the realms of power. And we're going to be really stretched uh, by planting three more services or congregations or churches over the next five years. This is not going to be a comfortable, cozy, uh, business-as-usual strategy because stretch is never comfortable. Um, I was thinking, uh, I was astounded actually, uh, by the news yesterday that uh, the Kenyan, I can't say his name, but I'll have a go, Eliud Kipchoge uh, broke the record for the marathon. He ran a marathon under two hours. 
And I was thinking about how, you know, he didn't just wake up yesterday morning and think, you know, I'm going to have a go at breaking this marathon and do it in one hour 54 and 20 seconds or whatever it was. There were years of preparation. There were years of training and stretching himself and, uh, and building up his stamina. Years of getting the right people around him, literally, to run with him at that, at that place to achieve his goal. And that's where we are as a church today. We need to enter into Stretch 25 together. We all need to get on board with it and play our part and be praying and considering where God might be calling us to get involved. What areas of ministry might we step into and have a go at? We need to be thinking about our giving and what we give up financially, but of ourselves as well. This vision won't just happen. This strategy won't just happen. We need to be doing the small things now thinking about who we're going to be inviting to church next week or who we might invite to a Christmas event or come along and join the Christmas choir with me. We need to think about in caring for creation, not just about what we do on big scale, but about our own lives and how we make choices that care for creation. It might be thinking about, oh, maybe now I need to join a connect group or actually I need to start a connect group or I need to start volunteering in some area. It's all about building ourselves as a team, stretching out now in small ways in order to do the big things that we're building up to. And in these verses that we've been looking at here from Luke chapter 6, Jesus is presenting his disciples with a massive stretch. It isn't business as usual, he's saying. This is not what you have experienced before. This is all different. The narrative, the rules that you thought were the way, well, I'm turning it up all upside down, he's saying, and I'm stretching it all out. Because, guys, you are joining me, he's saying, as we write a different story together. And this story looks like this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. God is calling us to be part of his kingdom and it's an upside down, stretched out, radical kingdom. It's a kingdom of good news and hope even in suffering. <laughs>